Amen. Well, good morning, church. It is a good day to be together. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in a few different places today. We're going to spend a lot of time in the sermon uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians, so that might be the biggest landing spot, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, today, um, we'll get going in 1 John chapter 3 as well. Um, so just, just kind of get all, all over today. If you're a note taker, it's a great thing. You can write down scriptures. The great thing about video is as well, when we video our services out, if you miss scripture references or things like that, um, I, I can tell you what, what I do to preachers that I've sat through their sermon. I put it on double speed and get to the stuff that I want, and then I slow it down. So you won't offend me uh, if you do that as well. But uh, this is week two of our five-week series as we're looking and talking about uh, heaven. Uh, and last week we talked about what happens when we die. And, and I shared with you last week that um, from, from that week on, really from, from, from today on, what we're going to be talking about when we refer to heaven is when we, and we are united with Christ and the new heaven, the new earth has come and the dwelling place with God, of God is with man. So, so I want you to know there's a little different reference in this. I don't think it's always um, life-changing that we note that, but, but I do want to be clear as we do with it. And today we're talking about um, what will we be like in heaven? What will believers be like? And, and I will encourage you today again, and we'll walk through this really clearly, but when we talk about what will we be like in heaven or what will happen when we die, um, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I believe scripture is there so that God can catch your eye and that you might uh, understand and allow this wooing of the Lord to embrace and impact and change your life. Um, but this is not what everyone who ever existed will be like when they die, but those who have been saved by Jesus Christ. Uh, and so that's what we are, just a little disclaimer in that. But if you've thought about um, the different things that people say you look like when you die, um, you go from anywhere from like toilet paper wrapped figurines walking around who can't mutter a word to like these like bodiless essence of blobs and you just become a part of the force all that kind of thing and and scripture is pretty clear what doesn't happen and what does happen and both of those things don't happen right just so that you know if you're wondering and you're thinking wow this is gonna be a neat sermon we're not going we're not going there um, but one thing I wanted to hit pretty early on is something that I've heard uh, a lot and as I have visited with people is when we die Christians or good people, do you become an angel? Um, has been a question. Is do we do we do we then go to heaven and we earn our wings or those kinds of things? If you've ever uh, seen, it's a wonderful life. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings, kind of thing. Um, if that were true, God would have to have like an angel pumping factory going all the time because man, the number of schools that have bells ring every day is pretty amazing, and so. It's fun, kind of funny to kind of think of how these things set in our mind. And, and the idea of um, people being angels uh, is, is rooted in a lot of things. Almost all of it's superstitious. And, and it comes back to um, ideas that even some uh, religions have embraced. Uh, Jehovah's Witness believe that Michael the archangel and Jesus are the same person. Therefore, if Jesus is an angel then it would make sense that, that we would do that. And, and then you, you might even look into some, um, even like Mormonism that would say that Jesus is the spirit brother of, of Satan and Satan is a fallen angel and therefore there must be something going on in there. So we kind of fall into those ideas and there's just kind of mainstream thought that if you say it enough, it's true. 
you know, it starts to make sense and whatnot. And so um, we start seeing caricatures and cartoons of men and women sitting with togas on, on um, clouds in heaven, and they have wings, so they must be an angel too. Um, just so you'll know, all of you who are excited about it, when you go to heaven, there's nothing in Scripture that says you get your own personal set of wings. If you're wondering about that, sorry to, to disappoint you. But we have enough foundation here that it's worth talking to and looking at. And there's not a lot of guessing that goes on in this. In Hebrews chapter 14, that's where we're going to camp out for just a minute before we get into the, the part of the sermon where we talk about what we will be like, is just Hebrews chapter 14 is super clean and clear on this. I'm going to read 14 verses. It's a lot. I've gone back and forth of how much to read, but it's pretty clear here. The Bible says this, Long ago, and many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed to the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Verse 3, he is the radiance and the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for his sins, he sat for, for sins, excuse me, not his sins, for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now catch this, having become much superior to angels as the name he has inherited in more excellent ways than theirs. Verse 5. Now, here's the, the, the clarity. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you're my son, or today I've got forgotten you? Or again, I will be like a father to him, or he will be my sons. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of his son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of unrighteousness is the scepter of your kingdom, and you have loved righteousness. You've hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Um, verse 10, and you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They'll perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up, but like a garment, will be, they will be changed. Um, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he, God, ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Verse 14, are they, angels, not all ministering spirits sent to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? So if you've ever wondered, is Jesus an angel? You would have to say that this is not, this scripture is not true. Does that make sense? Like we would have to throw that out completely because the Holy Spirit inspires the writer here to go out of his way to make a pretty strong case that Jesus is not an angel. Like that's a big deal. He's not the first of many. Satan is not the, the opposite of Jesus. Satan is a created angel who fell and has not been redeemed and won't be redeemed. Jesus is God made flesh dwelt among us. Those are different things. And that's going to be important as we talk about what we're like in heaven. But Jesus is not an angel. He didn't become an angel um, when, when he died. Um, but it goes a little bit further, and I want to read to you verse 16 of chapter 2. This is important as well, and we'll pull it together with verse 14 before we move on. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16 says this, For surely it is not angels that he, God, helps, but he, God, helps the offspring of Abraham. So there's two things in verse 14 in chapter 1 and verse 16 in chapter 2 where 
we now see that there is a difference between mankind, the offspring of Abraham, verse 16 of chapter 2, or chapter 1, verse 14, those who inherit salvation, that would be anyone who professes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There's a difference between that group of created things and angels. Because what 14 says is angels are spirit beings whose role is to serve God by ministering to those who inherit salvation. And so that doesn't, that doesn't allow us to be the same thing at any point in time. And if you were to go back into some of Jesus' illustrations and talking about angels actually have roles with believers who have died as well and ministering to them still. So, so there's never becomes a times where we stop being who we are and become something else completely. And that's key to understanding who we are when we die in Christ. But why scripturally, it's pretty clear. Jesus is not an angel and you and I are not and do not become angels when we die. Now, if you call your grandchild your precious little angel, you are not condemned for all eternity. You follow me? It is okay to use that as a compliment. But we are of such different things and I think scripture would say, such more things so so then if we're not an angel when we die then the question becomes what are we like when we die what 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 are our bodies like i love that scripture gives us an awesome picture we're going to bounce a ton today um you can see it but i have all my cheat tabs up here uh, for me today because this is my thin Bible without my real cheap tabs. So I'll go in it. Let me first point to you something that Jesus says in John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, verse 20 and following, Jesus kind of talks to and gives us a taste of this of which Paul will use later on in talking about our resurrected bodies. It says this, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Uh, these came to Philip, um, who was from uh, Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Uh, and Jesus said to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now this is the important part. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it, but whoever hates his life in this world will keep it in eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me where I am. There my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, now I love the picture that Jesus says here. As he's talking about his death and then alluding to all of those who will be resurrected in him. Is that when you and I die, not only is that not the end of what has been, but something greater remains. The seed of grain kernel has to die in order for it to bear much fruit. When Paul will use this later on in the church, there's an image here that we need to see, and we'll tag it over and over and over again. When a grain seed dies, right, and gives life to, to grain stalks, when an apple seed dies, so to speak, when it's buried and it gives life to something new, have you ever seen an apple seed put in the ground give life to a fig tree? 
Have you ever thought that, man, I'm going to go bury um, some, some seeds, some sunflower seeds, because I really want a, a vineyard. I really want a great vineyard. Well, we'll see through Scripture, and we'll see it here first. I want to anchor it into these words from Christ's lips, is that when you and I die in Jesus Christ, we are completely new, but we don't become something completely different. You follow me? So when the grain dies and gives life, it gives life abundantly fruitful, much fruit. It's awesome, but it's not a completely different type of fruit. And Paul will really harp on this later on. But, but this is key because this idea that Christ speaks here about his own death, it really tears apart any idea that reincarnation could await you and I, right? If, if in you die in Christ, you are raised into anything else, a tree, a cow, a, a tiger, an elephant, that that wouldn't jive with what scripture says about when something dies, it bears fruit. It becomes more than what it was. Different, but the same. And so in Christ's words, he, he beckons it and says, listen, truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You lose your life so that you can have that life. So Jesus starts to plant this first picture of you and I. And then John here records it, but I love inspired by the Holy Spirit in 1 John chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, that's like Revelation. Just turn a couple of books over, a couple of pages over. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, this is why what happened to Jesus is important to us. Okay, if you're wondering how do we know what we will be like for all eternity with the Lord when we die, when he, when he makes us new it's important that we listen to the words to Jesus and what scripture says about Jesus in 1st John chapter 3 verse 1 through 3 tells us why this is what the Bible says inspired by the spirit written by John in the first hand account see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are and the reason why the world doesn't know us is that it doesn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him, because we will see him as shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So, so here's this piece that John says. First of all, he says we are children of God. And when he says we are children of God, he is not saying everyone who has been born in the image of God. All men and women on the face of the earth bear the image of God. We were made in the image of God. But only those who have been embraced by God, in other words, who have received salvation and now are due to be to inherit the kingdom are his children. So everyone in mankind is not a child of God. Only those who are um, who have been adopted into the family are children of God. So that's who Jesus, who John is speaking to, and he says, "We are children of God." But he says, "When he appears, we will be like him and see him as he is." To be like him is this word homo, homo H-O-M-O-I-O-S. I'll let you say that, homoios. Homo I'll practice it 10 times. What it means is this. 
similar or, or just like. So it's not the same. And so what it tells us is when you die, you don't become the son of God. You don't become the daughter of the only begotten son. So when you die as a follower of God, you don't become like Jesus in the way that you sit at the right hand of God, right? There's not a multiverse of Christian gods out there so that when you die, you become the son of God of your own universe. When you die, you become the daughter of God of your own. You get a universe. You follow me? That's, that's not what scripture says. It says we will be like him. Our, our appearance will have those things in similar and kind with him. So those characteristics being the same. And we'll see him like he is. In other words, our bodies will be able to see Jesus as he is. It won't be in a mirror dimly anymore, but our eyes will be open to him. And so in Christ we start to see what we will be like in heaven. Psalm chapter 17, verse 15 says it like this. I love it. As for me, I will behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied with your likeness. John would put those together and he says, when we will see him like he is, we will be like he is, Jesus will be the apple of our eye for all eternity. I mean, you'll really see Jesus. But the eyes that you and I will see with are not these broken things. I mean, praise the Lord, you won't need progressive lenses in heaven, right? In other words, you and I will be able to see clearly Christ for who he is. We'll be clearly able to see how all of creation declares his glory. We'll be able to see those things. And what the psalmist says is, we will be satisfied. The sea is removed. There's no more separation between God and men. God won't have to hide our faces but our eyes of our physical bodies will see God as he is and we will not want more. I started to think about how that would play into our life in heaven. How many times have you walked this earth just wishing that your complexion was a little bit better or just wishing that your body was shaped a little bit differently or just wishing that that hairline stopped receding when you were nine, you know, just, just wishing about those things. Here, here's what scripture tells us about how we will see things in heaven. Because Jesus is our all in all, you won't look in the mirror and wish you saw something different. Because you will see him as he is, and therefore you will see yourself and others through the perfect lens in the eyes of God. I was reading an author as he wrote about what people will look like in heaven. And, and what's funny is, do you guys know like body type is an amazingly cultural generational thing, right? And so in heaven, God's not going to go, who got it right? Who got it right? Y'all were most right. Everybody looks like the 1960s. It's amazing. It's, it's not it. We're going to see Jesus and be satisfied all the time in his likeness. And so it's not that we, won't sim that we will simply be satisfied as we think about it. But what we see will be complete because we will be seeing Jesus and how God declares his glory in every single thing. 
And so when you think about, oh, I just wish I didn't have this here or this here. I wish my, my eyes were closer together or further apart. I wish my nose was smaller or bigger. All these things. In heaven, what you will see is the beauty of God and why he made you just like he made you to declare his glory uniquely as you. What does that mean? That means there's no commercials in heaven, right? Beauty products will be not unnecessary because of this. Our eyes will reflect God's glory, not sin's fall. Isn't that a beautiful thought? If we were just to stop right there, that would be amazing. Next week, we'll talk about what, what we'll do in heaven and those kinds of things. So we won't get into things you can eat in heaven, but follow that, right? Praise Jesus that because his glory will fill our eyes and not the fall of sin covering our eyes, that everything we see, including us, will reflect at full force the completion, the glory, and the perfect work of our Lord and Savior. Mm. You'll be made new. And so what we're going to talk about is what does that look like in that? You're still going to be uniquely you, but you are going to be made new. If you have your Bible, turn to that 1 Corinthians passage that I told you about earlier. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 35 through 49. We'll look at all of that, but we'll, we'll, we'll cut a verse out and come back to it later on. Because you will still be uniquely you. Because God's not like, I've been waiting until you died to wipe you out and to make you something different. That's not it. Let's listen to what scripture says. And you'll hear an echo of the words of Christ here once again in Paul as he writes, inspired by the Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35 through 41, and then we'll skip down to verse 48. Verse 35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come, you foolish person? What, do you, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel perhaps of wheat or some other grain but God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body for not all flesh is the same but there's one kind for human another kind for animals another kind for birds another kind for fishes uh, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies the glory of heaven is of one kind and the earthly the glory of earth is of another kind Verse 41, there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, but stars are differ from star in glory. Verse 48, as the man was dust, so are those who are of the dust. As, the man, as is the man of heaven, so also those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of God, excuse me, borne the image of the man of dust, we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. And just kind of work our way through all of that. What Paul says is this. They're asking what happens when we die. And he says, oh foolish person, don't you know that God created things different? I would love to know in the context. Because he goes out of his way to say humans are of one flesh. Birds are of one flesh. Um, animals are another flesh. Fish are another flesh. They, these are all things, heavenly things. There's some pretty amazing stuff. One, that we could lean into a, a, an idea of the, the incompatibility of a macroevolutionary mindset with this. Because what the Holy Spirit is saying is that there's differentiation. 
Uh, we, we could go against how we view ourselves. When If we mutilate ourselves or change ourselves or we want to make our flesh into something different, we would say, you know, don't, don't, don't think that that lines up with Scripture because what Scripture tells us is this, that our bodies in heaven will be like us. You won't become somebody different. You won't become something different because you're chosen. You've made special in one thing, but you'll become new. I, I, I can't find an earthly illustration for this, so I'm going to start earthly and then go imaginative. Are you okay with that? Anyone in here ever watched a home improvement show? Right? A little confession moment. Yeah, that's right. We all have. And if you didn't watch it on purpose, it's okay. But, but I like it when they when go through things. It reminded me when I was, at, when we do mission trips as a youth, because they'll take these old rooms and make them into something new, but oftentimes they'll do the floors and they just have to strip the floors and wear it down and wear it down and wear it down. And eventually they get to the, the wood and then they can make it look new. Now, when they get down to the wood, they make it look new. Is it new? No, that's kind of the point. Like they're like, this is how it works. Well, that's the difference. When you and I die, God removes all the layers of sin on us. But when he touches us, we become new. He doesn't just reveal the original you that sin has covered up. He removes all of that away. And he makes you new you. You never stop being you, but you do start being new. There's not a great illustration that I can think of that lets me think of that. And I believe that's part of God's mystery. Because every thought that I have would be futilely short. To how can I be myself and be new? Well, your identity, who you are, who God created you, that never changes. But you will be new. You will be known. So when you're in heaven, not only will you be new, still uniquely you, you will be known as uniquely you. If you were to go look in the Bible at Matthew uh, chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, um, verse 1, starts off looking at this picture of the transfiguration. This is when Jesus has gone up on the mountains. The disciples are a little lower. And God's speaking to him, and he's speaking to them. It's why he tells the disciples, once again, this is my beloved son. But listen to what we see. Verse uh, 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and his brother, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. When he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, his clothes became bright as, bright, white as light. And behold, there appeared with them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, I'll just stop there. We won't have to go much further in that passage. Now, what's interesting here is that Peter said right here. I think if Peter's statement wouldn't have been in there, we could have had a little play on this and say, did the Holy Spirit later on in life reveal to Matthew that that was Elijah and Moses? But Peter says, right there, he's, he's watching, he says, Lord, it's good we're here. 
There's Moses and Elijah. When we come across in John chapter 20, verse 21, when we see the resurrected Christ, he is, he is known, although he is, his newness is evident also. See, you don't lose your identity. You don't yield your consciousness to be muddied in with the rest of consciousness in heaven. Moses and Elijah were known. Jesus was known. Even in the parable uh, about the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus was known. I think scripture goes out of its way to say when you and I have an expectation of what we will be like, we will still be uniquely us in who we are. We'll talk about marriage a little bit next week in heaven. But, but I'll give you the teaser. When you and I are in heaven, I believe scripture is very clear that I will know you and I will know you from our relationship here. If I go to heaven before my children, I believe when they die and go to heaven that I will wrap them in my arms because I will know Connor was, is my son and, and Ashley was my daughter. I will, I will know the warmth of that. It, it, it wouldn't surprise me a bit if, as long as I leave on good terms when Christy and I get to heaven that we don't stand and hold hands during one of the songs in heaven. I, I, I do believe we will know as we know one another because scripture points us to that. That doesn't mean I believe in marriage and, and heaven as we think of it here and some other things. I want you to go there. But I do believe wholeheartedly that we're gonna know each other that we're going we're, we're gonna to be glad to see each other. That we're going to have a great time rejoicing that we are in heaven together. And I do believe we will make new friendships in heaven. And God will make them known to us and for all eternity. But, but scripture is pretty clear that even though we are still, we are made new, we are still uniquely us. But here's the beauty. We will not know us in a dissatisfaction kind of way. We, we, won't, we won't bring up, oh, I'm so glad God changed your hair back to its natural color. I've always hoped it would be. Sin will never be the discussion of heaven, remember? Because our eyes will always reflect the glory of Christ. And so I believe wholeheartedly that we will know people. And I... I really believe there's some people that I haven't seen since I was a child that I will know them when I greet them in heaven. I won't long and need their relationship to be complete, but I believe we will be known. So what will we be like? Well, first, we will be still uniquely us, made new, be known, and we will be physical beings. We will, be, we will be people. We will still be uh, those who inherit salvation. Um, John chapter 20, I, I just kind of walked through this passage a little bit with, with Christ. This is when he appears. It just tells us a little bit about um, the physicality of it. Um, the Bible says this. We'll start in verse uh, 13 and we'll go down just a little bit. The Bible says that Mary stood weeping outside the tomb as she wept and stood and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the Bible of Je body of Jesus had been. Verse 13, 
Uh, and they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, right? It doesn't say she saw Jesus floating. It doesn't say she saw a mirage, the spirit of Jesus, but she saw him standing. And, and there, she said, although she didn't know it was him at the time, have you ever been looking at someone and not known who they are because you weren't looking for them? I do that all the time. If I do that to you in the mall, I apologize in advance. And Jesus says, why are you weeping? Why are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she says, sir, have you carried him away? Tell me where you laid him. And he said, Mary. And she, which says, and she turned and said in Aramaic, Rabbani. And Jesus said, don't cling to me. I love that. I mean, I don't think she said, Rabbi, and he said, hey, don't cling to me. I don't think that, that's, that's an impossible, inhumane picture. Jesus is not dead, he is alive. And she says, Rabbi, right? If when you drive up to your grandparents' house as a kid and your granddaddy's waiting and you say, granddaddy, I mean, big hugs follow. My granddad was like six foot four and 260 pounds. He was a big dude. When he hugged you, your whole body got consumed, you know? I can, I can see in the picture, Mary says, oh, Rabbi. And he says, whoa, I, I love you. Don't cling to me. We have work to do. But Jesus shows that his body could be touched. If we were to go into chapter 21, we find him cooking on the beach and telling everybody, have this. We show him taking bread. He eats. His glorified body also can walk through a locked door. And be with his disciples. So it's not the exact same as his body, but it is still physical. We still, he speaks verbally, he has hands to show, he walks. I just want to let you know although you will be new and you will be known, you will be somebody. You will be a physical being, a person in heaven. But our bodies, just like our eyes, will unload sin's curse. This is where we go back to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 42 to 44. Because right here, it tells us a little bit about our bodies. This is what scripture says. Verse 42, 43, 44. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable is raised. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. What is sown a natural body is raised a spiritual body. Church, it won't just be your eyes, but your whole body will unload sin's curse. Now, there have been a lot of conversations around this, but, but what Scripture starts with is saying is this, in throwing off sin's consequences, that your body in heaven will be imperishable. Right now, it is perishable. In, in heaven, it will be imperishable. Death, where is your sting? Well, think about the difference between perishable goods and imperishable goods. If you leave perishable goods on your counter long enough, what happens? They start to rot. They fall apart. They tear apart, right? What, what Scripture says is this, is that in this life, 
from the moment you were born, your body not only has been getting stronger, but it's been dying as well. It's been tearing down. In heaven, there will be no breakdown. So I looked as I've read pastors, how old will you be in heaven? Well, note to self, heaven won't need a calendar because it's infinite. You follow me? And so, so our, our sense is a little bit different. But I, I did read that our body physically peaks between about age 25, 26, and it holds the line until you're 35. So all the good, like people who write books about what we're going to be like, think we're going to be 35 because you become a lot wiser in those 10 years, right? Once you hit 35, your body starts breaking down, although your mind gets stronger. That's just how God's gift is, right? So, so people will say, well, Jesus, you know, 30 was his ministry, 33. I don't think your age matters. But here's what I will tell you, that when you and I are in heaven, your body will not break down. Have you thought about that? I was on the roof working yesterday at our house, just fixing a, a piece of the pergola. And at the beginning of the day, I felt really good. At the end of the day, I was so exhausted. It was having a hard time drilling straight. My body had just worn out. What scripture says is nothing will break down. There won't be anything negative occurring in your body. Your mind will never get dimmer your eyes will never get tired the glory of God how that works I don't know but it won't weaken your eyes you will be honored and glorified not in shame that means that you and I in our glorified bodies will never have anything to be ashamed of now the Bible is clear that we wear clothes in heaven it's not going back to Eden but what it does say is you won't be ashamed that you don't look like them or you don't look like that person. You won't be ashamed that you're gifted in a way that's different than someone else's gifted. There won't be, be ashamed that, that these things, you're, you can't let your body go because there's nothing to, to break down. Because the shame died and the honor and the glory of God, which will radiate and, and reveal itself, reflecting off of us, will be unending. The Bible says what was raised in what is sown in weakness will be raised in power. Man, it just reminds us that there are ourselves, our bodies, that we'll be strong enough to do everything that God has in store for us to do. One of my favorite Billy Graham quotes is whoever coined the term the golden years must have been a young man because everything hurts. Nothing comes easy. <laughs> Church, there will be no weakness in your body. It will be strong. And that's because it won't be simply a natural body, but it will be a spiritual one. They say, God, how does it work? Well, the reality is, is that your body will be restored and made new in a way that we can't understand because we understand everything under sin's curse. We, we even see Jesus that way, don't we? I mean, Jesus is beautiful because he reflects life that we don't understand. 
Paul would write it this way in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. The life that we live now, although we'll be familiar, it won't even be comparable. Because sin came into the world. And since Adam, every man, every woman, every boy, and every child has embraced sin and called it good outside of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so as a consequence of sin, our eyes don't reflect Jesus at every moment. We miss him in the image bearers of God. We miss them in the the song creation cries out. And we're elated when we get a glimpse. See, because of sin's curse, we don't know bodies that don't break down. We don't know a life where there's never anything to be ashamed of. Because of sin's curse, we don't know what it is to be satisfied or complete with who God has made us to be. Because look around at all the other beautiful people in the world or all the other wise people in the world or all of the other. What scripture says is sin came into the world and it rested on you and me. And that's why in this natural body we will not know what it's like to be new. But scripture goes further in verse 15 and says this. But the free gift, it's not like the trespass. In other words, what God offers you is not at all like that sin. For if many died through one man's trespasses, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of God, by the grace of that one man, Jesus, abounded for the many. And the free gift isn't like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following the trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. The church, I started with Jesus and I want to end with Jesus. When I get to heaven, I'm not excited to find out if I really should have been six foot two and 240 pounds of pure muscle. I'm not interested in how my hair won't be curly or what it will be like. I wonder if I need a haircut. but we will be like Jesus. And that will be what makes our spiritual body so amazing. Because your eyes will not cease to see the reflection of Jesus Christ in everyone you see. there's something in this room that when you look in the mirror you can't even catch a glimpse of his glory in your life the gift of Jesus Christ is not like the gift and the sin of Adam because the gift of Christ opens your eyes 
where sin closes it. And so I want you to know that eternity awaits all of us. And right now, the Lord is offering something that you can't earn. And that is to know him and see him. An invitation to let him open your eyes today so that one day they will be completely new, seeing fully. That only comes because of a gift. Saying, Jesus Christ, you are the one. You are the one who was able to overcome sin and to show us what life eternal is. You are the one to lead me to new life, to a full life, to eternal life. So I confess my eyes are stained with sin, but I believe you can open them. Would you be my master? That's where it begins. And if you've been looking in the mirror and you said those words a long time ago, but sin has so clouded your eyes, you don't have to leave them that way. The same God who will make you new can wipe away those tears and can show you what life is when you turn your back on that sin-stained life. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Oh, there will be a day when we will be like you and we will see you completely and our eyes will be satisfied at every turn. We will see the glory of the God and, and of God in, in the tasks that are being worked on and unfinished. We will see the glory of God in the people that we know but don't yet know well. We will see the beauty of Christ in the mirror when we run and don't grow weary when we walk and we never become faint in the power of our of our new selves Lord we will see Jesus's work so Lord we long for the day when everything reflects your glory Lord, let us draw near to you because of that. Because it's you. And if there is any man or woman or boy or girl in this room who does not know the assurance of their future, of what it will be like, what they will be like, Lord Jesus, would you allow them today to turn to you, to accept your hand and to say, God, make me new today and don't stop until you've made me holy. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.